Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Otsili. Aren't we all learning something from these tips? So don't forget, don't use hot water for rinsing off your dishes. Well, you're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM, we're talking women. On the team today, I'm Nancy Richards, uh, Hazel Makuzeni and Garnet Nkwenika are the other side of the glass. What we have on the show uh, on the show today, five good reasons to start up your own business. We're going to be talking to a woman who's just done that, who's got some really good uh, good ideas. Well, she's the creative director, incidentally, of the Design House, which has just turned one years old. On business starters, we're also talking to Mozambican Heather Katsonga Woodward, who started up a hair care business in London. Actually, in actual fact, she started up a number of different businesses, so we'll find out how and why. And then after the news headlines, nitpickers. We'll be talking to the franchise founder about head lice in kids and how to treat them. And we'll also be talking in our In the Name of Mandela feature to the founder of CORE. CORA, in fact, it stands for Caring for Orphans in Rural Areas. So that's what we've got lined up. And if you'd like to join us at any stage, you're most welcome. It's uh, otherwise at safm.co.za or pick up the phone 0892102010. You're listening to Otherwise. Stay tuned. Otherwise on SAFM. Well, just a little bit of uh, what's news coming up. Liv Shange, founder of the newly formed Workers and Socialist Party, has arrived back in the country, unimpeded despite her concern that she may be denied entry to South Africa, having experienced difficulty getting a visa, as she was blamed by the ANC for, and I quote, strife in the platinum belt. And speaking out not for myself but for those without a voice is how 16-year-old Malala Yousafzai, the young Pakistani girl you remember who was shot in the head by the Taliban, went to England for treatment and stayed on, has stayed on to, to attend school there. Well, she was addressing the United Nations in New York last week and wearing a pink shawl that belonged once to assassinated Pakistani leader Benazir Bhutto, very symbolic. She said, I'm not against anyone. I'm here to speak up for the right to education for every child. She said the attempt on her life had only made her more resolute. Weakness, fear and hope died. Strength, courage and fervour was born. How's that for? Powerful words from a 16-year-old. And she said that on her 16th birthday. And as we heard yesterday on SAFM Literature, J.K. Rowling has been outed as posing as a retired military policeman and father of two by the name of Robert Galbraith under which pseudonym she has released a crime novel called The Cuckoo's Calling. What's interesting is that Rowling has described the experience of being undercover of another person's name as liberating. Interesting that she should have chosen that other person to be a man. And we're going to be talking about crawlies on heads in just a minute, but just how is this from Japan? The idea that slime from snails can help heal the skin after sunburn and moisturise it. Well, as far as I know, it's actually long been known that snails have benefits for the skin, but to have them literally slithering around directly on your face feels a little, what can I say, creepy. You are listening to Otherwise, so do stay with us. This is when Marcellus and you all are listening to and enjoying SAFM. Stay with us. You're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM. We're starting off with five good reasons why you should start up your own business. We have on the line Chemari Gunko. She's the MD and Creative Director of Design House. And they've been going for just a year, I think. Hi, Chemari. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. It's quite nice to hear somebody being so utterly upbeat about having started their business because around about the first year is usually it's either sink or swim, isn't it? And you are clearly doing the crawl right through the water here. Yeah, we are, but it has been a huge amount of hard work. I think people hugely underestimate how much work goes into a business. You do, I mean, if you're not prepared to do 16-hour days with no end in sight, 
chances are you are going to fail. But the one thing I must say that has really dawned on me thinking about it when I wrote this article was that, honestly, I think a lot of small businesses fail in the first year because they give up. I think people just get too tired of what it takes and what you've got to put in, and there's just no clear end in sight. And I think a lot of people give up. So if I could give any bit of advice to any aspiring entrepreneur out there, get a support system around you. Get people that are going to bolster you and put back into you because you need it. So you need all the support and the energy and the help that you can get if you're going to make a business work. I suppose you also have to know exactly what you're talking about, what you're doing. You have to be fully qualified. Just very briefly, tell us about yours, Design House. You've been in this industry before you knew what you were going into. Very much so. And actually, that's what's made sales easy because you walk into it and people say, okay, well, I can see you know your stuff. And that makes them very likely to jump in and do business with you. So, yes, you have to go into an industry where you do really know your stuff, where you do have a history. Or if you're going to go in with a new product, you need to get to know everything about that product. Practice interviews, practice sales techniques. Sit down with anybody that will give you two hours and practice selling to them. Because if you can sell to one person, you can sell to anybody. But selling is really dependent on how well you know your product and how many out-of-the-box ideas you can come up with around that product or service. That could be a real setback for many people. I mean, some people are born salespeople. I mean, I've heard people say, well, I'm a born salesman. I could sell ice to the Eskimos. And for other people, it's just they may be enormously good at what they do, but they are they're just not good at selling. You don't rather recommend finding somebody else to do the selling um, for you? Yes and no. I mean, look, in the beginning, your budget is going to be hugely limited, and that's where we were right at the beginning. Um, so for us, it was really a case of I had to go out there and sell, and I was petrified of sales. I mean, nothing could bring me to my knees faster, and I'm a pretty confident woman, but the thought of sales literally left me with a racing heart and a dry mouth, and just the first few meetings, we had to go out there and do it, and the first few meetings didn't go well at all. But after that, with every consequent meeting, it gets a little bit easier. It gets you get into your groove. And quite honestly, a year ago, where I would I would have said to you, I will never touch sales in my life. Now it's actually one of the most thrilling parts of the entire job. What are you selling? What is your product? Well, it's marketing and creative services. So Design House is a marketing agency, and we sell creative services, whether that's copywriting, design, development. Our speciality is digital marketing. And it was just a case of going out there and showing people that we knew what we were talking about and that we did have something of value to offer. Yeah, and that's quite a difficult thing to sell because it's a non-tangible. You can't sort of hold it in front of somebody and say, look how good it is. Um, But more than that, you've got to return results. In marketing, you have to return results for people because people won't come back and do business with you if their sales haven't improved or if their leads haven't improved. And that's what makes marketing such a difficult sell is that, first of all, you've got to sell the product and then you've actually got to return results in order to keep the client coming back for more. But, I mean, if you put in enough work and if you get onto our website or you get onto our Facebook page, there's a quote up at the top that says, give them quality, that's the best kind of advertising. And if you only focus on quality, if you just sit out there to do every tiny little thing you do, absolute, absolute absolute best you can do it. You cannot but succeed. You you just have to because people love quality and where value is seen, price is not a problem.
Okay, so you've you've laid down the the you know sort of ground rules as you had them. Firstly, if you're going to start your own business, you've got to be a really good salesperson. You've got to be prepared to work every hour that God made, and you've got to be prepared <laughs> to produce a really quality product. So, five good reasons why you should open your own business, in your view, are what? The sense of achievement rocks. If you've ever looked back on anything in your life and thoroughly enjoyed it, I promise you, you can multiply that by billion and you are never you can't even come close to what it feels like to look back after a year and say my company is still here we did it we made it this far we've paid salaries every single month I I cannot tell you for the first time in my life I'm looking back on my life and I'm looking at it and I'm saying wow I did that I actually feel like there's something back for everything I've put in um, success really is the best revenge, I have to be honest. And but the best part is it won't matter to you anymore. So you won't even care about all those people that put you down, all those people that you were going to prove yourself to. It's not going to matter to you anymore. If you're going to do it, do it now. Do it now while you're younger. Because I'm not an old chick, but wow, it has been hard work. And to do 16-hour days every single day, including weekends, you need a lot of energy to do that. And you need people backing you and supporting you, and you don't realize how much it takes until you've actually done it. Um, And then the last two are really about sales again. It's only really scary to do something the first time. And you'll have experienced that lots of times in your life. You know, the second time you do something, it always gets easier, and that rule applies to sales. And what will amaze you is how quickly you get over that fear of sales because it's not somebody else. You're not constantly fearing that somebody is going to come and moan at you or break you down. You're just ready for the next thing. It's pretty awesome, and I would recommend to anybody that's got an inkling to do it, to go out there and do it. You've really got nothing to lose at this point in time. The only thing that's stopping most people is their fear of a monthly income not being there. Mm. And it's amazing. Things just tend to fall into place. I've seen it for so many people in the last year, and I just wish I could galvanize everybody to go out there and do this, because if we had enough businesses going, there'd be more than enough business out there for everybody. Yes, if only the monthly income not being there was the only fear. I mean, I can imagine that one there would suddenly there is no one to either to blame or to lean on. You know, when you're an employee, you can lean on people or you can blame them and things go wrong or you can sort of hue and cry. But when it's your own business, it's it's only you and, and whoever you've got around you. So it's not just about the money. Well, that sense of responsibility, I must be honest, nailed me in the beginning. The first few months was very, very difficult because even though I'd been in management roles prior to that, um, it's a whole different sense of responsibility. Uh, I made the joke right near the beginning of this process where I said um, the fastest way to reduce the time between two paydays is to be the person responsible for paying the salaries. And it was. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. By the fifth of the month, I was checking the account. Okay, are we going to have enough money to pay salaries at the end of this month? But you get, you, you get past that. It just takes a bit of, you know, you've got to have a bit of a single-minded purpose. You've got to say, regardless of what comes up, regardless of what I'm going to face, I'm just going to keep going. But your support network becomes huge. So I must be honest, I lean on a lot of things like spiritual healing. I've got a great support network around me in terms of employees and friends. But at the beginning, it was me and it 
was my partner and it was just the two of us and we just kept each other going. Mm. One of the things that I think made the biggest difference was that it was me and my partner. Mm. And where I was down, she was able to lift me up. So I cannot, I, I can't even emphasize enough how important that support network is. You have to have somebody there that's going to say to you, you know what, it's just a bad day mm. or it's just a bad client. You really need that. And if you don't have that, you're actually cutting yourself off at the knees before you even begin. Tamara, just lastly, I do have to come back to the issue of money because it is a biggie. I mean, mm. no matter how, how strong your spirit is and how high your character is, it, it's not just about belt tightening. It can be sort of make or break if you've just not, you know, a couple of months have gone by and you just haven't made it. I remember talking to somebody once about starting a restaurant. She says, you've got to be prepared for nobody to walk into that restaurant for the first three weeks because nobody's going to know about you. You know, it's not going to be word of mouth because nobody will have tried it. So, you know, did in your instance, did you have a big fat seed capital when you started that you knew that you'd be able to survive for X amount of months before you made anything? No, we had nothing. In fact, I quit my job with immediate effect when I started Design House the next day. I didn't even know where our first month's salary was going to come from. It was make or break. I had a boss who always said to me once, um, I've, I've been involved in events across my career, and he said to me, if that's your only event, you need to market it like it's the only way that you're going to make money. It's the only way you're going to pay your bills at the end of the month. And we jumped in like that. We have paid salaries every single month. Um, since month two, and we haven't skipped a month, but it was hard work to get there. I had to get out on the ground and sell and cold call and make everything happen and market design house, but it was pure force of will, and we did it. We still got no debt in the business. We still put no capital into the business, but we have successfully managed to pay salaries every month since month two, and we're now a company of six people. Fighting talk. Shamari Gunko, thank you very much. Very best of luck. And thank you have many very, more years very ahead. much, Nancy. Thank you. Cheers. Have a lucky day. Cheers. Bye. Shamari Gunko is MD of Design House. It's spelled D-S-I-G-N-H-A-U-S dot C-O dot Z-A if you want to check out the details. Stay with us. South Africa's already constrained power system is put under severe strain as the cold weather sets in. Please switch off your geysers, pool pumps, and non-essential appliances during the evening peak period. Minimize the use of electric heaters, especially during the peak period between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. by dressing warmly, using gas heaters, hot water bottles, and blankets. So keep warm while using less electricity and help us beat the peak to keep South Africa powered up. ESCOM, powering your world. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights, and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. How will you be giving 67 minutes of your time in honor of Udata Madiba? Join SAFM by dropping off canned food and books at various points in Sandton City and Nelson Mandela Square. Or you can join us for a live broadcast on the 12th of July from the Nelson Mandela Square, where you can drop off your contribution. On Nelson Mandela Day, the 18th of July, we will make our way to Ipoteng Primary School, who are this year's recipients, as we believe, a full tummy powers a healthy brain. And in the words of Nelson Mandela, no country can develop unless its citizens are educated. 
Collector Can with SAFM in the Nelson Mandela Square urge you to join in. For more details, log on to www.nelsonmandelasquare.com. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And here on Otherwise, talking of Nelson Mandela in the name of Mandela is the, in the name of the feature that we've been uh, going to be running right through until the end of the month where people are doing really good things in the name of Nelson Mandela. And later on, we're going to be talking to the founder of something called Cora, which stands for Caring for Orphans in Rural Areas. Good job, that. But next, we have, uh, talking of opening your own business, Heather Katsonga Woodward. She's actually from Malawi, not from Mozambique, my apologies. And she's taken uh, not one, but a number of very bold entrepreneurial steps. She's opened a business in London called Nino Naturals, uh, which concentrates on hair care products. But actually, she started up a number of different things, one of which is called fatcreep.com, girlbanker.com, chichewa101.com, and also Neo Na- uh, Nino Natural. Well, we got her on the line. Hi, Heather. Hi, Nancy. You, uh, you're wearing a lot of hats. You know what, I was wearing more hats last year, but this year I decided to take business books advice and focus on one thing. So for most of 2013, I've just focused on Nino Natural. Okay, so Fat Creep, Girl Banker and Chichewa 101 have taken a, a sort of, they're on the back burner. They're on automate, essentially. Okay. Okay, I think that you, nonetheless, banking is your is your thing. I think you spent seven years in investment banking. Why the switch to um, neo-natural? Well, I've actually always wanted to own my own business. The reason I went into banking is that I, I had an offer, for, an offer from one of the best banks in London, Goldman Sachs, and I couldn't say no. I didn't have any capital to start a business with. I didn't have an idea, so it was the natural thing to do at the time. And seven years was just about enough to create enough of an asset base to feel as though I wasn't taking so much risk in starting my own business. Let me get things right here, Heather. I first, I've been saying that you're from Mozambique. In fact, you were originally from Malawi, and I've been calling it neo-natural. In fact, it's neno-natural. Yes, Neno is a village in Malawi where my dad comes from. But don't worry, everyone calls it Nino Natural. Yeah, okay, so it's Neno Natural. Okay, um, and the I don't mind, you can call it either. Okay, that's very thoughtful of you. Um, What is it? Tell us what your product is. My product is hair hair products. At first, I started off with an oil pack, and, and my focus is people with natural hair, So African hair that hasn't been chemically straightened. So it's a very particular niche. Uh, When I started off, I started off with a Facebook, well, a blog to begin with. Mm. Then in November last year, I decided to create a Facebook page and to just pay more attention to the business. And within a week, I had 1,000 Facebook fans, which for anyone who's ever created a Facebook page will know that is a very hard number to achieve in a week. And to date, within just seven months, I have 50,000 Facebook fans. Good grief. So, yeah, I, yeah, no, I was surprised myself. I, I was shocked. Yeah, that's a sort um, of explosion level, really, isn't it? So what is it that everybody is. is everybody wanting to know about your product, or are they wanting to know how to care for their hair, or what is it that they are looking for? You've hit the nail right on the head. They really want to know how to care for their natural hair, because for the majority of people, They've never had to do that. So first and foremost, I see myself as an information provider, and products come second. 
Ideally, I would like to have my own shampoo, conditioner, and detangling line because that's where I see the market gap. There are still a lot of people out there who haven't found ideal products for their hair because most products cater to straight or not-so-curly hair, which does not have the severe tangling problem that we have. So short-term, I have my oils and a, a range of accessories, and long-term, I'm going to be looking into having my own product line. Okay, so what do you know? I mean, having spent seven years in investment banking, what do you know about hair care? Is it something that you have studied, or is it just working with your own? How has it, how has it come to you? I've essentially been learning as I go along, to be honest. Um, I've read a few books, and I also keep up with, there's a large natural hair community, so I watch a lot of their videos, read a, a lot of their blogs, and when I see information that I don't think is totally correct, I'll research it and get a good angle on it, essentially. Interesting that there should be so many people. Are you in the centre of London or around, around London sort of surrounds, or where are you exactly? I live very close to the centre of London. It's about a 12-minute train ride for me to be right in the heart of London. Okay. And... But that actually doesn't matter because my business is online yeah. and most of my customers are in America. So oh. I actually made the decision to move all my products to America since that's where most of my clients were. And I use what they call a fulfillment house to post and pack everything for me. Good heavens, how interesting. I don't know if you were listening to our previous guest, Shemarie Gunko, who was talking about five good reasons to start your own business. It sounds like you're flying. I was. Have there been, what have been... I was listening. Yes, yes, good. What, what for you have been the, the downside? What, you know, what cautionary tales have you got about starting up your own business? One, if you're in a product business, the natural thing for an entrepreneur to believe is, oh, there are 100,000 people walking past there every day, so I'm going to order 50,000 products. That's not necessarily going to transpire. Start small, and as you see what demand looks like, expand. And in terms of the hours I've had to work, I don't think it's been as intense as it could have been because I started off just wanting to have a lifestyle business, a business that pays for my life. But it's only now that I've grown so fast, so quickly, I'm looking at growing bigger than that. So I spend myself time by hiring third-party services, like the fulfillment house. If I was having to post and pack my own product, and today I've received almost a thousand individual orders, I would spend a lot of time labeling, packing, using duct tape, but mm. I don't do any of that myself. just want to come back lastly to Nano, the, the village that your father lives in in Malawi. Are you getting any of your product from there? Is it, have you named it in his honor, or does any of your materials come from there? None of my materials come there. I use local materials, so even for... Some of the things I sell in the U.S., I try to find local suppliers, but I named it Neno because I was thinking, okay, I'm a natural hair girl. What would be authentic? And I thought, well, my roots lie in Neno. Uh, my dad was born there, but he doesn't live there anymore. So I thought, well, Neno Natural, it's the natural hair girl from Neno. So it's your roots in every sense. Gosh, I, I know that people are going to be thinking, give us the website, give us the website. So I'm going to let me give it. It's Neno Natural, which is N-E-N-O natural.com. And Facebook, we're going to check you out on Facebook. It's, what is it? Also just Neno Natural. If you just uh, search in the search bar for Neno Natural, I'll come up. But the page is actually called 
Natural hair growth by Nano Natural. Ooh, natural hair growth uh, by Nano Natural. Got it. But there's a link right on the on the index page of my website. Fantastic. Well, well done, you, Heather. Th- thanks very much for joining us. And we didn't get on to Chichewa, and I believe that it was your husband who actually wanted to learn your language, Chichewa, which is why you started that business. But maybe we'll talk about that another day. Perfect. Thanks for Excellent. talking to me. Yeah, and definitely. I'm astounded at how much information you found out without even my input. <laughs> well, you know, it's the Internet. It's pretty useful. Lovely. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheers. Heather Katsonga Woodward. Well, if you'd like to find out a little more, check the site. It's nanonatural.com. Otherwise, um, Natural Hair Growth by Nano Natural seems to be the Facebook page. But if you Google, you are so going to get there. You're listening to Otherwise. Do stay with us. Otherwise on SAFM. And I'm thinking it's time for the news headlines with Utsile Saku. Sorry, Utsile, are you there? Thanks very much, Utsile. Sorry for keeping you waiting there. I seem to have been forgetting all my cues today. What we have here on Otherwise is children, children in focus. Next, we're going to be hearing in a minute about, uh, in our In the Name of Nelson Mandela series, we could be hearing about the work of Cora, caring for orphans in rural areas. We're talking to founder Kathy Schultz. But first, nits or lice, well, something that any parent will know only too well are the curse of the school-going child. They absolutely spread like wildfire, and they're really, really tough to get rid of. Well, Mandy Davis is known as head nitpicker, or otherwise lice slayer, and she's the owner of a franchise called The Nitpicker. We've got her on the line. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm well, and even as I think about this, I recall those terrible itchy head days where you just can't get rid of the little beasts, and, and it requires not just sort of getting the, the things off the children's hair, but washing all the linen and doing all sorts of things. But you seem to have a miracle cure. Just, just to explain. Basically, um, what I've done is I've bought a device in from the, the U.S. It is um, FDA-cured. And uh, what it does is it blows out a controlled amount of heated air, and that dehydrates the lice and the nits. So that generally takes about a half an hour to do that part of the treatment, and then we do a all the lice and nits after that, and it's just a once-off treatment that's required. Okay, so what do you feel? It sounds like you put the child under some sort of like a, one of those hair dryers that they have in in hair salons. Is, is that how it works? Um, the, the device actually looks very similar to a vacuum cleaner. A lot of people think it is one, um, but yeah, at the at the end of the the pipe where the air blows out, there is what looks like a diffuser, and that goes in the child's hair, and we do 30 seconds on each spot, um, and that's all that's required, really. 30 seconds on each spot. Is it, is it then sort of other little infestations? Are they, are they sort of like in like separate little colonies on a child's head? I can't say that I know exactly how they work. Um, you know, somebody actually, I did read somewhere that um, last art. Um, I haven't seen any actual evidence of that. Sorry, but funny Mandy, enough, Mandy, sometimes Mandy, sorry, your line keeps cutting, and you you said something I didn't catch. It just start again. Uh, sorry, 
I did read somewhere that um, lice are territorial, but I haven't seen any evidence of that. But we have found when we're combing the children's hair that very often there is a large cluster sort of on one side of the hair, um, as, and the other side of their hair will hardly have anything. Um, but, yeah, we have to cover every single space on a child's head to make sure that we don't miss anything. And is it then, is that it? Are there no chemicals involved? I mean, is it completely chemical free? Because all those, those shampoos that people very often use for their children's heads are, are filled with chemicals, which always makes you feel a bit nervous. Yeah, absolutely no chemicals at all. It is 100% safe. So it's simply um, heated air that gets blown out. And we, we treat um, pregnant women as well. Um, yeah, 100% safe. Uh, very efficient, very effective. Is it sore? What, what's the response from the children? Uh, you know what is sore is when we, we comb the children's hair afterwards. Our combs actually pull the nits off the hair. Mm. So that can be a little bit sore for some of the kids. When when the parents are coming in, we generally advise the, the, our clients to give the kids a little bit of pain medication for the combing afterwards. But the device itself... Um, is actually cooler than a hairdryer. So it does blow out heat today, but it's cooler than a hairdryer. Is it absolutely guaranteed? I mean, they don't come back at all. You know, one of the things about nits or lice is that they can recur. They're very uh, tenacious. I guarantee my service. So what I do is um, we ask our clients to come back in 10 days' time to make 100 that they are clear. Um, so I guarantee my service, um, and when the client comes back in in 10 days' time, um, we can then see if they've been reinfested or not. I generally do treat my clients if they have been reinfested, but then I like to get hold of the school if they have been reinfested, you know, just to let them know and then um, to ask them to check all of the kids. We also do provide a service where we do school detections and we actually have a partnership program with schools that um, that we go in and we check all of the children's hair on one day. And the schools then also uh, sort of have a, a, a sort of a partnership, um, some benefits. So the, our clients that come from those schools will get discounts um, and so on and so forth. So you go into a school and you check all their heads. You, are you able to treat the, a whole school? I mean, some children, some schools are, you know, they can be six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred children. Can you do a whole school in a day? Yes. It's, yeah, depending on how many kids there are in a school, I will take a team in um, that ensures that we finished in one day. Otherwise, it's a little bit of a pointless exercise yeah, if you yeah. do it over a few days. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's also a bit of a pointless exercise if you've cleared your child and they go back to school. Chances are it's going to be, they're going to be right back in there. Does it make a difference exactly. as to um, what hair type the child is? We were talking to Heather earlier, uh, who handles sort of what she calls African hair that's not been chemically straightened. If a child's hair is braided or plaited or has been straightened or has got any sort of treatment on it, will it equally respond? Um, what we do is we ask our clients to make sure that the child's hair is washed properly with no products in their hair. And then um, if they are they do need to be, the braids need to be removed because we, we have to comb the hair afterwards. 
Okay. You, you, I'm afraid you do keep breaking up, but I'm assuming you said if the hair is braided, they have to be undone. Just lastly, right. um, Mandy, the, the thing about the, the nits, the lice, is that they can be everywhere, everywhere. What about back at home where they might be on the, on the child's pillow, they might be around, uh, you know, the, there's a chance of reinfestation there. Is there any other sort of follow-up that you have? Yeah, definitely. Um, we give our clients a list of things that they need to do post-treatment. So that'll be both at home, um, very often things that need to happen at school, and also what um, what a lot of parents don't realize is that they need to vacuum their car as well. So if, you, if the kids are in the car, the lice um, very easily fall off the hair and um, could simply just crawl back on again. So... Uh, things like vacuuming the car, vacuuming the beds, um, duvets, pillows, um, soft toys, all the things that you can't really put in the washing machine must be put in a tumble dryer and um, put on hot for about 20 minutes. Um, elastic bands, hair accessories and brushes can be put in a, in a plastic bag and just put in the freezer for sort of overnight. Um, and then obviously the linen and any clothing that have been that's been worn in the last 24 hours um, and towels that have been used need to wash on sort of between 60 to 90 degree temperatures. Yeah, sure. And then um, couches, beds and carpets and so on and so forth can be vacuumed as well. Mandy, as I say, your line does keep <coughs> breaking up, sorry, but I'm going to give out your website, which will give everybody all that information, I'm sure. But uh, you operate countrywide? At the moment, we have a store in Brightwater Commons and um, a franchise shop in Nelspreet, and we are opening a Linksfield store by the end of this month. And then hopefully, uh, nationally, we'll have a few more stores in the next few months as well. Well, very, very best of luck. It sounds like a business that certainly there's going to be lots of, uh, lots of work for. Mandy Davis, uh, head knit picker, and if you'd like to find out more, the website is knitpickers.co.za. That's N-I-T-P-I-C-K-E-R-S dot C-O dot Z-A. Listen up for Shop Shop Children's Programme on SAFM. With Leon Fisser at 10 minutes to 2, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Otherwise, on SAFM. Otherwise, it is here on SAFM and uh, Talking Women. And don't forget, if you'd like to share with us at any stage, you're welcome. Otherwise, at safm.co.za. And if you would like, uh, we. Do, the po- program does get podcasts, so if you would like to check it out, it's something you heard that you'd like to hear again, it's uh, www.safm.co.za. Scroll on down to podcasts and check through there for otherwise. Well, to close the show today, in the name of Mandela, and as you know, we've been running this series, uh, we will be running this series uh, sporadically throughout the month of Ju- July. And uh, if you know anyone who is doing, or yourself are doing good work, which of which you think the former President Nelson Mandela would be proud, well, do let us know. You can find us on Facebook as, as well. And today our candidate doing such good work is Kathy Schultz. She's the founder of CORA, which stands for Caring for Orphans in Real, Rural Areas. Got her in the studio. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Nice to have you with us. And I was thinking about you, um, you know, listening to the nitpicker lady there. I was thinking about caring for orphans in rural areas. I would imagine 
nit pickers or nits or lice head lice will be just one of the many challenges that you face. It's definitely one of the many challenges. What we do find though is um, if we bring in stuff like sanitation, um, hygiene, we now have the children washing their hands after toilets, um, keeping the place clean and that we, we, we can um, get rid of a lot of those diseases and for example for the lice and that if you keep them clean it's, it's less yeah, of that. It doesn't happen. It, doesn't ha- so it, it happens, but it, it yeah. doesn't, it's not a huge yeah, infestation. Yeah, yeah. No. Let's not get too, too, too upset about no. it. So, Cora, you started it when and why and how? I started it in, in about 2009. The reason was really that um, I come from the Eastern Cape, but I have a very soft spot and spend a lot of time there. But while I was spending time on, on the Wild Coast and that, I began to notice a lot of children on their own. Um, started walking around into the villages, very invisible places because they're not seen from the main road. Um, people don't really go in there. The roads are bad and access isn't good. I started checking with, with the elders and that and found out that a lot of these children were either orphans or living in child-headed households. Mm. Huge amount of child-headed households in the Eastern Cape. Um, and that it's, it's a worry for everybody because the community is not wealthy enough to take on this extra burden. There's nobody. They fall through the cracks, basically. So I just decided to um, consolidate what I did very sort of... Um, on my own and, and make um, Cora, started Cora. It's taken quite a while to get it going and for people to start buying into the idea that that's important, that the priority of getting children at that age can actually change their lives. Yeah, the thing about caring or doing anything like this is that somehow it's got to be, it's got to be professional and it's got to be sustainable and you've got to make it, it's got to make money and it's got to, people have got to be able to, as you say, buy into it. Did you put together some sort of business plan? I mean, how did you get it going? Um, Well, I I used to run my own business for 20 years. So I come from that as well as having a lot of work. What was your business? It was called Printing Concepts. Mm -hmm. I had a printing and promotional business. Um, and, I'd, and so I have that business experience, but I also have joined places. I've joined recently the Legends um, Fatola workshops, which are great because they give us tools, they give us information and helps to run. People think that you run a non-profit organization, you run it haphazardly from the petty cash. It can't work like that. It has to be run on business. You have to have a mm-hmm. bookkeeper, you have to have your records straight and everything like that. So places like Fatola, um, my networking and my business experiences help to keep that in the money we get, there's a place for it to go I make sure that we're never without money at the end of the month. Okay, so how do you run it? I mean, what is your um, what is your product? I mean, we know who your clients okay. are, your little clients, but I mean, how do you how do you make it happen? Okay, so I, I go into a rural area, um, one of the invisible ones, not the ones that are supported, because there are those on the main roads where people see they're supported. We find um, villages. Like, like, like where? I'm in the Eastern Cape, yeah. near East London, in, in the rural areas of Moiplas and um, Komcha, those sort of places. So it, I've got four centres at the moment um, in small villages. Two okay. of them have been completely redone. So we start from grassroots, very basic, very grassroots. The first thing I ask for, I find people who are already running or looking after children. They have no support. Most of them don't even have shelters. We start with a wish list. We've, we start with the community. If the community is willing for us to go in, we go in because we need their support. We can do nothing without that. Um, then we start with a wish list. On every single wish list, the first thing is a fence. So we put up a fence. This is for security. It's for possession. It's to make people feel like they have something mm. of their own. Then we start with sanitation, toilets. Try and get water in. If there is no water, we try and bring the water in there. Um, 
nutrition. We feed them twice a day. I have a feeding scheme that feeds the children twice a day. Um, small things like washing hands off the toilet, using toilet paper, going to the toilet, not squatting, all those little things that bring dignity to, to the children. They're beginning to expect more. I'm, I'm thinking about this fence, this fence in the middle of, yes. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Is it usually a central or do you build uh, some sort of structure? Well, Normally there's a broken down shack or, or some, you know, without a roof, without floors and doors. But this is what, uh, these children really aren't seen as a priority. Not, not anywhere as far mm-hmm. as I've, I've come across. So they have the least of everything there. So we start with that, fixing up what they have, first of all, bringing in toys, books, making it a place that the children want to come to. There's another thing that the rural people are not used to going to school, preschools. So a lot of them keep the children back to do menial little tasks at home or just to hang around. We take toys, we take books, and we take food and clothing or whatever else they need to bring the children to school. They now love coming to school. They're playing. They're They've got things to do, and they go home with a full, full belly. What about personnel? I mean, what about getting people to... Because you, you're going to need people who are there consistently, um, who are paid to be there. Otherwise, you know, one can't expect everybody to do things for nothing. How do you get... People and unfortunately, they do expect everybody to do things for nothing. So mm-hmm. when I say we identify, there are already people doing this, already people sitting and looking after the children that have nowhere to go during the day. Um, I've been very fortunate to find these places where there is a teacher or somebody who's taken on the role of a teacher. We normally have a gardener who does, we do vegetable gardens to complement our food, um, food scheme. Um, we have a gardener and we have a cook and a carer. They don't get paid. Nobody gives funding for salaries. Government doesn't help out. Um, wherever I can, I would give a stipend at the end of the month when we get funding and things like that. Um, so these people are already committed. They're already doing it. And with a little bit of support and help and the right tools, they're going in the right direction. I also, wherever possible, and again, when funding allows, we train the teachers so that they give quality basic um, edu- early education. The children are at this age like little sponges. All they want to do is learn. All they want to do is develop and play. We try and put up playgrounds, so you're developing their motor sensory, early numeracy and literacy, um, nutrition, teaching them to play with each other. Last year, for example, I took a box of fluffy toys, put it in the middle of one of the the little centres and opened it, and every child ran away. They'd never seen a fluffy toy before. So so then to bring them back and to show them how to nurture and love and that. Now when I go there, the toys have been washed and bathed and put in their places. And (laughs) (laughs) It's wrenching, isn't it? So you've got four of these little centres going. How many children? And, you know, at the end of each day, presumably those children are going back to their child-headed households or wherever it is that they lay their head at night but they come to the centre two or three whenever a lot of them are living with grandparents or family members and things like that I think um, what people also don't understand when I speak of orphans or child-headed households they automatically assume it's HIV there are many other reasons TB is a great killer there's migrant labour nobody really thinks about what happens to the children of all the people working in the towns and the cities they're left behind in the, in the rural areas um, there's also the early, ch- early teenage pregnancies which almost automatically renders it a child headed household a lot of the children are 13, 14 year old with, ch- with children I come back to the business aspect how are you making it pay where are you getting the money for this I am getting uh, I have been getting funding small amounts from Old Mutual from HCI from Investec the nice thing is that they've all given me money 
um, constantly year after year because they see how the program's grown. I also have um, Carl Press Media who have supported us from the beginning and they're quite a, a valuable support to us. And then um, Eastern Cape Education Trust gave us money last year to, to get a con- two containers in to fix them up and to, and to make it a bit better. And maybe one day in another sort of 10 to 20 years' time, <laughs> your, your alumni, your little ones who will have grown up, will be able to come back um, so, with yeah. this with this early good foundation that you're giving them, wow, it's, it's really quite impressive <laughs> just in a very short space of time to have got all that together. Cathy, can I give out your website? I think I know that you've been having trouble with your website. Or ha- Facebook have it, page? Our Facebook page would be great. It's okay. um, Facebook forward slash Quora.org. So it's Quora.org. Somebody has hacked into your website. It's terrible. Is it it's not truly terrible. unforgivable? What a waste. Of time. What, what a waste, and especially when you're doing such good stuff. Cathy Schultz, thank you very much in the name of uh, President Nelson Mandela, former President Nelson Mandela. We are honoured to have you on the show. Thank it's you very much. It's my privilege. Thank you so much. Cathy Schultz, and if you would like to find out more, check her on Facebook. It's uh, Cora.org on Facebook, and you can and find out a little bit more. And maybe you've got something to offer. Maybe you've got fluffy toys or any other sort of toys or books or anything. I'm sure you'd be briefly, yeah. Can I, can I just say something? That um, people giving things to us, it's very nice to, if people ask what we need okay. instead of giving. If we could get people to give 50 rand or 100 rand a month or something like that, 100 people at 100 rand a month runs a centre and give Stop Don't it. assume you know what they need. There's, the, there's the thing. Cora.org. Find them on Facebook. Kathy Schultz. Thank you very much. Thanks, team. That's uh, Hazel Mikuzoni and Garnet and Quinny Caroline Nancy Richards. Up next, it's time for Nali Bali, the children's program.